Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode, This Speech Life. I am so excited to have Melissa joining us today, but before we get started, just a few housekeeping items. I am Caitlin Lopez, the host of This Speech Life. I am a pediatric SLP based in Southern California. And if you are taking today's course for life credit at the conclusion of today's course, please remember to log into your course portal and complete all modules, especially the one entitled quiz to make sure you get your live credit for today. All right. And then if you have any questions, feel free to pop them into the chat box or the Q&A box today, and I'll make sure to ask Melissa your questions. All right. Before we get started, I am just going to report our financial and non-financial disclosures. I am Caitlin Lopez. Like I said, I do receive compensation for this podcast episode from speechtherapypd.com. And Melissa also receives an honorarium for participating in this episode of This Speech Life from speechtherapypd.com. Both of us do not have any relevant non-financial relationships to report. All right. If you have taken any of Melissa's courses that are on speechtherapypd.com, you know what a treat we are in for today. And if you haven't, I highly recommend that you definitely check those out. Melissa is a bilingual speech language pathologist with over 14 years experience, predominantly in the school setting, which is perfect. She's going to have all the experience to help us learn how to self-advocate. She's also a health and wellness educator, as well as an actor voiceover artist. After growing up on the beautiful island of Puerto Rico, she earned a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Acting with a minor in Spanish from Brigham Young University, and then a Master's of Arts in Speech, Language, and Hearing from Temple University. She spent her first nine years full-time in public schools in Philadelphia, Utah, and Houston as a contracted therapist for Bilingual Therapies Incorporated. After multiple miscarriages and a stillbirth in 2015, she shifted the majority of her attention to her health and wellness business and family while doing part-time work in speech as a CF supervisor in schools and as a private therapist. She now has three miracle children and continues to work privately in teletherapy. Her passion is helping SLPs manage stress at work and thrive in whatever setting they choose. So if you were with us last episode with Mandy Schomburg and we talked all about setting boundaries, we're kind of in this little mini series here of how can we thrive in the school setting with everything that's stacked up against us. So I just knew we had to have Melissa on to talk about self-advocacy because this is a huge passion of hers. So Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So let's just jump right in. What are three things that we need to know about self-advocacy? Okay. So I would say that three things, I mean, there's a lot of things we can know, of course, but to start with, let's just say that in order to self-advocate, it it takes a decision. You have to decide you're going to do it. (laughs) So decide. It also takes effort. And it takes a little bit of planning, okay, to make it really effective. So that's number one. We have to decide to do it. We need to make a plan and then we need to execute, okay? The second thing I want to tell you about that is that it works. Self-advocacy works. I've seen it, at least in my experience, it has worked and I've seen it work for other people. And in fact, if we look at any change that has happened anywhere in the world for any reason, But even in our profession, where did it start? It started with somebody advocating for it, right? The third thing I want to say about 
self-advocacy, right, is that when change for better happens, it feels so good. And when you were part of making that happen, it provides fulfillment and purpose long term. And I don't know anyone who doesn't appreciate fulfillment and purpose. And in fact, I think that's one of the main things in our life, right? If we're looking at Maslow's hierarchy, right? First, you need food and shelter and all those things. But purpose and influence is what really creates a lot of fulfillment in life. So self-advocacy is a big piece of that. Those are my three things. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit more about that piece, decide, effort, and planning? And maybe you can give us kind of an example of how you made the decision, how you put forth the effort and the planning, and maybe an example of how you've self-advocated. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm currently not full-time in schools, but when I was at the beginning, right out of grad school, right? I, I remember just jumping in and thinking, oh my gosh, this is so much, right? This is so much. How am I going to do this? I mean, I got better and better at it as time went on, but my second placement, I had over a hundred kids on my caseload. And it's insane to have a hundred. Any of you out there who have that many, I feel you. I feel you. And I just didn't know how I was going to do that. So at that moment, I had to decide, okay, how am I going to do this, right? And I remember getting to the end of the school year, and I was in that district for five years. In that particular district, they asked you what you wanted for the following year. So towards the end of the year, probably around March, they started to ask you, are you coming back? Are you planning to come back? And what do you want? Do you want your same placement? Are you looking for something new? Would you like to do more evaluation? Would you like to be part of the preschool testing team? You know, lots of teams have different or lots of school districts have different arrangements so that you can kind of be a specialist in certain areas or whatever, right? And so I, and they also asked if you needed an SLPA, right? Or how much help do you need or what that kind of thing. That first year when I got it, I decided, okay, I think I need to communicate to them what they can expect of me if my caseload continues at this level. And what they can expect is decreased efficacy. (laughs) Like kids probably not making as much progress as they could be because I'm spread too thin. And so I went through and I did have an SLPA for two days at that time. And she was phenomenal. But even she was like, this is too much. You know, I remember we stayed after school for three days and we hashed out, okay, what would it look like if we did this? What would it look like if we did this? And we tried to figure out how can we really service this population, this caseload, the way that it deserves. And it's so funny, each individual child that we are servicing, how can we give them what they need? And without burnout, without me staying late every night or bringing work home every and doing work on the weekends, how do we do this? Right. And so I went through and I figured out and I came up with three scenarios that I wrote out in a long email to the team lead. (laughs) I said, if I have the same situation that I have right now, you can expect decreased outcomes, da, 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 whatever. And I listed it out what I felt and I really thought it through. I wasn't sassy in the email or whatever, but I said, I really feel like I need to be realistic here about what I can do and the resources I have and what's on my plate versus you know what I can actually give. And then I said, if I had an SLPA this much time or so I came up with scenarios of another SLPA or SLPA for longer, and then, or an SLP, another SLP assigned to my same school, and like how that could work out depending on, you know, because of the needs of the caseload that we had, and the the number of uh, self-contained units we were servicing, and things like that, and I was also assigned to preschool test on Fridays, so I was not even on my campus on Fridays, so you see that, I was on my campus four days a week, an SLPA two days a week and 100 and it was about it was 85 to 110 kids fluctuating depending on who was in and out. Right. So. That was the email I wrote. And guess what? They gave me an SLPA for an extra day the next year. And guess what happened? I did it again the next year. And guess what? They gave me 
another. So they gave me the one girl three days a week. They gave me a different SLPA. She came for another day. And then they also had started asking me to go to another campus two days a week and whatever. So we had this kind of conglomeration of what we were doing. The last year that I was in that school, so I was in there for five years, the very last year, we had two full-time SLPs, well, two SLPs for four days each. So eight days of an SLPs in that school to service on these. And guess what? That worked. That is what we needed. That we were able to service the kids. I was having so much fun. I loved it. And then we decided to move my husband and I. So I was like, I got to this sweet spot that was like, it was actually the, it was actually the fourth and fifth year. I remember it. That were just the sweet spots where I was loving my job. But you guys, that would not have happened if I hadn't decided I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something, but I'm not just going to say, I need more help. This is too much. This is hard. I'm going to like, I'm going to plan it out. I'm going to really think it out. And what can they expect in each scenario so that they know, because they have so much on their plate too, right? What if I give them a solution to hand it? Hey, there, here are four solutions. Can you pick one and pick the one that you can do that's going to, you know, improve outcomes here? And it did. And it was it was really such a cool experience because it felt, you know, you feel validated for one thing. You feel listened to. You feel valued. And then the students are getting what they need. It was beautiful. So that was my big experience with self-advocacy in that regard. Awesome. Thank you. I love that example. Like that was such a great example of just making that decision. I can't go on. The effort that it takes, you know, like you said, you went through and you kind of had to plan, okay, how am I going to respond to this? You know, I've decided to do something. How am I going to respond? And then I really loved how you created different solutions. I know in the past, I spoke a lot about it when we had Mandy on the podcast. My previous district was insanity. Just the things that they wanted us to do was like not humanly possible. We put in the effort of creating Google calendars. Okay, where do you want me to fit that in? You know, and sharing that with our administrators. Okay, you want me to do that? I would love to do that. However, can you figure out where to put it in? And it did take effort, you know, to create that Google calendar. And I mean, or to share our Outlook calendars too, to fill those up too, and like kind of put in exactly what we needed and where things went. I also appreciated too that idea of you created the solution for them or you created a couple of solutions. And I think that that is really helpful. Like you made that point of they're busy too. I love that. And then it just brings me right into that second part of it works. April has a question. How do you carve in the huge piece that is paperwork to the schedule? That is what takes a huge chunk of time that's not recognized. For us, April, that, so just a little bit of context, you weren't with us that previous episode, our district, there were only 10 SLPs, there were 48 schools when you take into consideration like the Head Starts that we serviced, and there were only 10 SLPs that they were allowing to do assessments. And this is also assessments after, so this is assessments for the 2020-2021 school year, so we didn't do assessments March through October. And that includes all the preschool assessments. You know, every time a kid turns three, you got to do an assessment. So we were very, very, very behind. So not only did we have that current school year's assessments to catch up on, but everybody else's. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the caseload would have been. I didn't do therapy that year. I only did assessments. And if I had done therapy, the caseload that I carried according to the numbers was like, 281 students. I lost count of how many assessments I did that year and just how many IEPs. So, but I put it in my, my schedule. We like, we got together as a team, the 10 of us, and we're like, nobody's taking work home. This, we can't get this done. We all need to be on the same page, which is nice that there's 10 of us, right? Like we were really, a really good team to work together. Nobody's taking work home. We were all guilty of doing that in the past. We are doing, we're going to show up our contract hour, you know, 7.30 a.m. We will be there 4 p.m. We're walking out the door. And and we would communicate to, this didn't get done. This is why it didn't get done, you know, because some of us did get pulled in other directions that the district wanted us to do. And we would say, that's fine. I can come to that, you know, collaboration meeting to work on 
improving special education outcomes, but that's going to take away from this. You choose, which one do you want me to do? And I think being in such a difficult situation really forced us to self-advocate in that way. And it was helpful that there was 10 of us, you know, all holding, we got together outside of work regularly, which that was the only thing that we did, you know, do, okay, how's everybody doing? Okay. What's, how can we support each other? This is how we're, this is how we're showing up on our calendars or whatever. So April, we did just, we felt like it was appropriate to say two hours for calling parents, getting that background information and writing the report, you know, and we all had a template that we all, we all used the same template that way. So it was as uniform as it could be. And of course you are going to have kids that are much more complex to write a report for versus your, you know, kid who's just working on ours in the sixth grade. But we, we made that, you know, we, we all made sure that we had similar doc time for doing that. But it is a hard part and you just have to say this is what maybe you can rely on your team to come up with what is reasonable to ask for or your lead SLP. What do you think, Melissa? How would you handle that? Yeah, there's two things here. One is if I had had the ASHA workload calculator back in the day when I created those emails and told them this is what you can expect and da, 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 it would have made me be able to do that whole thing way faster and then given me a visual graph that shows them, hey, this is how much time I'm spending doing this, this is how much time I'm spending doing this, 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 you know, like, and this is, you know, it would have, it's so beautiful and it's so easy to use. So go to, it's ASHA workload calculator, just click it in, like Google it. If you haven't used it, try it. There's a weekly version, there's a monthly version. And it just gives you all these, you know, you're gonna identify how much time per week or per month you're using for the different tasks. And you can even add in your own tasks if you need to. And then it will show you how much time you're spending in in different areas, right? And then you can show that to your powers that be, whoever they are, team lead, whether it's your, you know, depending on your situation, it could be, you know, principal, it could be, and it could even be yourself. It could even be looking at your schedule and saying, what am I doing? Am I, am I really using my time the way it needs to be used, right? Um, And so that's, that's going to be really important too. But anyway, use that workload calculator to get a visual of what's going on with your caseload and if it's disproportionate. And if it is, that's what you're going to use to show your, your team lead, your your whoever it needs to be that you're going to advocate to for either more help or just letting them know, just like Caitlin said, letting them know why it's getting done slower, maybe, or that, you know, that you have set a boundary of not taking work home. I had a rule that I learned a few years into my career that I actually really appreciated, which was one night a week. I did work late one night a week. And so that was, for me, I chose Wednesdays. Wednesdays was my late night. And I would just stay till sometimes eight o'clock, sometimes, you know, just whatever. But it would just be a few hours to just kind of wrap up that stuff. Because for me, that gave me the mental space that I needed to not be super stressed all the time and so concerned about other things, right? And it gave me the space to just kind of, okay, I'm going to do it. I've chosen to work late. But I didn't bring work home. I only did it at school. So I would stay late once a week. That was my, so that's my advice. Oh, the other thing, because I said two things and then I only said one, right? Well, you shared the resources and then you also shared like your one day late. I think that was what it was. Mm -hmm. Did you know that speechtherapypd.com has weekly live and interactive webinars? We are the fastest growing CE provider. Subscribe today to get access to over 750 different courses in audio or video format. And I love that. I know we had a presenter for the teletherapy conference back in March. She talked about, she's a school counselor. And so she kind of came in with the mental health piece and that's what she presented on. And one of the things that she presented on is like, sometimes she does bring work home and she'll do it on a Saturday morning because of that very thing you mentioned. Like I have this set hours on a Saturday morning that I will do it because I know my mental health will be better knowing it's taken care of. And she has strong boundaries that she talked about that were, you know, surrounding those few hours on a Saturday morning. I love that idea of you just staying late one night a week. You know, I, I would do that the year before while I was working for that district, 
I would stay, you know, I would stay late and then leave. So we had, we didn't have the same hours as teachers in that district. And so I would stay later. And then on Fridays, leave when the teachers left, you know, I would stay, it was still the same hours that were my contract hours, but then it was just kind of nice that Friday to leave knowing that I had done what I needed to do, which really helped. But I love, I love that idea of kind of figuring out what your boundaries are and how to, how to make that work for you. And knowing that somebody else's boundaries may not make sense for you. Another thing I would say on that question is, is honor your schedule. And, you know, people are going to encroach on your schedule, but if you have a good solid schedule where you have that time built in, that's uninterrupted time. And it needs, it should, you know, that's where the boundary holding comes in. Right. So that can be uninterrupted time or, you know, where you can't take calls or you can't whatever. Right. And if you do, then, then you just know that that has to go somewhere else. Right. So those are that that can help you keep a boundary too is honor your schedule. And there, there are circumstances I understand where you can't always honor it, but it's, it's that again, advocating, if it's somebody is asking you to do it and it's not your choice, right. Then that's where you advocate. I'm sorry, I have this time blocked out so that I can write these evaluations. Um, We need to schedule another time or, you know, you got to look at the value of that particular task to whatever it is they're asking you for. Yeah, that's a great point. I know that that was something that I struggled with at one of my school sites was my door was kind of always an open door. And sometimes I really struggle with kind of, especially when I was a newer clinician and wanting to do all of all that I could. And I would see a need. Oh yeah. You know, so the troublemakers would often get sent to my speech room and I would find things for them to do. I would put them to work. And so there was a particular student that would act out. And I said one time that he could come to my class because the counselor was out and I happened to be walking by the counselor's office. And I said, why doesn't he come with me? You know, and then it turned into, he always came to my room. And so that is something that I learned the hard way of like, okay, I can't always fix everything, you know, and that open door of a colleague stopping by and like, hey, I wanted to quickly chat with you. You know, it's during their planning time. So I think that's a really important point, Melissa, of just kind of guarding, guarding that report writing, that documentation time as well as you can. And that's also, I, you know, April, you said that's something that's not recognized. I think the collaboration that we do is not often recognized too, because it happens in the hallways or in passing and there's some really valuable conversations that happen in the hallways that, you know, finding time in your schedule to make that happen too, like what Melissa was saying. All right. So we talked about just deciding the effort, the planning. I loved your example of it works. And then you really just gave us an example too of how good it felt. You know, you're talking about how much fun you had, how much fun your slippers had. That's amazing. And it kind of sounds like the dream as you were describing it. Totally. And I'm in touch with all of those people still, the people that I worked with, the Slippas and the other SLP on a regular basis. And also that's when I felt like I could start showing my personality more at work. When I started incorporating, you know, I'm an actress by that's my, my bachelor's degree is in acting. And I would, you know, I had an improv group at the time and we would come and do the dare performance for the school. But like before that, I didn't want anybody to know that I did that. You know, I didn't want anybody to know that I spoke Spanish, even though it was obvious. I was like, I didn't want anybody to know anything about me because I was afraid that, that they would draw on me for something like that or ask me about it or something. And then I would just want to do something that I didn't feel like I had the time to do. Once I got to the situation and had, you know, I'd advocated for that kind of situation. It was, it was, it was the dream. It was the kind of thing I could see doing for an entire career, right? The kind of setting where I could work in for longer. That's amazing. And to give everyone a little bit of context before we started the podcast, Melissa and I were talking about how you know, sometimes with all the demands that are placed on us, we kind of feel trapped in our careers. And like, that's an okay thing to talk about. That's an okay thing to recognize. And, and that's why we're having the conversation today. What are things we can do? How can we self-advocate so that we don't feel trapped in our positions and that we can stay long? You know, it's going to benefit our students if we stay longer. 
because we we understand them. We know what works for them. I just love that example. And I'm so glad to hear that it exists, you know, it's out there somewhere. Somebody has experienced it. It's not necessarily a unicorn experience. Well, and let me add that I did that with the next district I was in. I came okay. in. So I was in the next district for three years and it only took me a year and a half to get to that point. And, and it was through advocacy. It was through, and part of the advocacy for me, I told you I'm an actress, right? And I have interest in other areas. You heard my bio. So I like to do other things and I need time for that, right? So I actually, I do say that I worked full-time in schools because I had a full-time contract, but 32 hours a week is considered full-time and that's a four-day week, right? So I, as soon as I was able, I asked my contract agency to ask the school district because I was with an agency if I could go to a four-day contract. And they appreciated me and valued me enough that they were like, yeah, we don't want to lose her. <laughs> so they did. So it, the way it worked in my first district or my second district, that one I was in for five years, was I at the, I, I taught courses at Brigham Young University. I was an adjunct professor for a voice for the actor, voice and diction, phonetics, okay, stuff that married my acting stuff and my speech stuff, right? And I was working with college kids. So I would leave. I was close enough to the campus that I would leave just for a lunch, basic lunch hour and go teach the courses and come back. So it was, I was still working five days a week, but I would leave for an hour and a half, two hours in, in like two, I think it was some days it was five days a week. But anyway, so I did that in the first district. The second district, or the, when I moved to Texas, I asked them for a four-day contract right off the bat, and they said no. So I said, okay, I just need to prove myself for a year, and then they'll give it to me. I know they will. And I did. I worked hard, and I pursued, and I was like, you know, I'm a good therapist. So many of us are really good therapists, you know, but we need our mental health. So I said, so the second year, I asked for it. And I asked for option, a three-day option, a four-day option, and a five-day option. And I told them I would pick the contract I wanted. And they did it. They gave me all three options. I stayed with a four-day because that kept me benefits. Once I went down to three days, I would lose benefits. So I stayed, I did a 32-hour week. And I, and I took off Mondays, you guys, not Fridays, because Fridays are fun. And it's like the end of the week, whatever. Mondays are the stressful ones for me. So I took off Mondays. And that was my, my day where I worked on my other business. And awesome. anyway, so, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing that, you know, and something that you mentioned a little bit before was, and it stuck with me, this idea of, I think it was when you were first talking about, you know, when you were deciding to write the letter and mm -hmm. you were like, okay, this is, I need to, I, I feel like I can't give my students what they need. And they're not going to have the outcomes that you're wanting them to have, right? And how much of our job, how much of our burnout is due to that inadequacy that we feel that we can't give to our students? You know, it's not, yes, we get stressed out because we have this IEP due or this tough meeting coming up or, you know, not quite like communication issues here and there, but it's really the inadequacy that we feel or that we can't give our students what they need. And that's really where our burnout comes from. I think more than like the workload or the caseload, it's that emotional stress that we, that we have, which kind of talks to that point of like, we need our mental health. We cannot do this job with the current, you know, state that we're in. Most of us got into this to help people. We want to see them improve. We want to see them be helped. And when we feel like we're just writing words, <laughs> I mean, assessments are so important and we want to do a good assessment. Yeah. We want to have the time to think it through and actually give good goals. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. And, and working on goals in a way that's functional, you know, writing those good functional goals. I mean, we could easily just give an assessment, give an ALS, oh, they missed this on the ALS. Okay, that's what we're going to work on. But that's not good therapy. That's not good goals. That's not functional for helping them communicate long-term, you know, that'll just teach to the test. So, and that takes more time and more effort to elicit those language samples and to do those things. And so I think that was a huge piece that we really fought hard for because we're saying, you know, you're expecting us to assess kids that we don't know. Mm -hmm. It's going to take us a lot longer. And 
that was really hard. They didn't quite understand that piece. Melissa, do you have any examples or any thoughts on like how to teach administrators about our jobs? Because I feel like that's a huge piece too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I asked my principal if I could do a five minute speech time during faculty meeting. So I know I know a lot of people don't want to go to faculty meetings. And again, that's one of the things that but I did I get a lot of fulfillment also about about with by communicating and connecting with my coworkers, right? And I find that they trust me a lot more and my job gets a lot easier when I know them and we're I'm friendly with them, right? And with the high turnover speech, you know, a lot of people don't expect a speech therapist to be in that long. So they don't take the time to get to know you. Right. So in that district I was in for five years, I asked my principal if I could have five minutes. And it wasn't every faculty meeting, but it was probably like once a month or so. I did five minutes and she's there. Right. And then the all the teachers are there. And so I did something like stuttering. I did some stuttering is never going to go away. So it's really important that people understand around like the other people understand stuttering. Right. So I did a little tidbit about stuttering one time. I taught them how to go through the paperwork. Right. Newbie teachers don't know. And some oldie teachers don't know. They don't know how to refer a kid. So I went through five minutes. Here are the forms you're going to need. Here's the thing you have to do. Gave them like. So those are the kinds of things I did in faculty meeting. But there's other ways you can do that through email, newsletters, you can get creative. You know what your school needs, what your district needs. You know whatever your situation is. You know the thing or the things that are just nagging at you that need some change. So those are the ones that you need to get your creative juices working on. And just pick either the one that's the easiest to solve or pick the one that's bothering you the most. And start just letting your brain think about it. You will come up with ideas, I promise. And start something. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think. Thinking about that year and some of the solutions that we came up with were maybe not that great and we got turned down, but we kept trying because we knew that it wasn't, but it started the conversation at the same time, right? Like, you know, they told us no, but then we would ask, well, why did you say no? And then we knew, okay, next time we come forward with an ask, we're going to make sure to include X, Y, and Z, because they told us that that was something their needs weren't getting met in whatever way, you know? And so, okay, how can we meet their needs and our needs? So thank you for that. Okay. So two resources, you shared one, the ASHA workload calculator. What is your second resource for us? The other resources, again, from ASHA, I feel like they have such really good stuff. It's their position statement on the caseload versus workload. Can I read it real quick? Yeah. It is the position of the American Speech Language Hearing Association that the total workload activities required and performed by school-based speech language pathologists must be taken into account to set caseload standards. And then there's a bunch more. But that's really it. Like the all so, you know, carving out that time for paperwork, it must be taken into account. It's the position, it's ethical, it's what needs to be done. There's more to it, but that's the real piece I wanted to highlight. It's just so important. And if you are a social media person, there are so many creative SLPs online putting out their work and giving you shortcuts and ideas and resources at really sometimes free or at really good prices that really can make your load more manageable. (laughs) And there are just some really good things out there. The amount of accessibility we have technologically right now in our day and age is just insane what we can accomplish. And, you know, there are ready-made templates online if you don't have them already. There's just so much. I would encourage you to take a little time to get out and look for it and get in those spaces to see what people are doing. Because for me, I didn't want to do this because I felt so overwhelmed. I wanted speech to be contained. (laughs) And then I wanted to be done and doing other things. But in now that I have a little more time on my hands of not speech, I take more time to look at it. And I'm like, wow, that's useful. That's useful. That's useful. So I think now if I were to go back to school, I'm home with my kids right now. I'm really 
savoring my children right now because I had a lot of losses you guys heard in my bio. But if I go back and when when I would choose to do that, I'm going to operate a little differently. And one of the things is I'm going to take time to regularly look at a few things, not get overwhelmed and like look at stuff all the time, but be following some of those people that are that are innovative and finding ways to streamline all our processes. Yeah, I know Teachers Pay Teachers has a ton of templates and things that some SLPs have put up. I follow a ton of SLPs on Instagram. You know, thank you for bringing up that point of check out their stuff, see if it is in line with what you're looking for and what you're needing. Um, At different points in my career, I have been a member of SLP Toolkit, SLP Now, and Maureen Wilson will be on the podcast here pretty soon. She created Swivel, which is very similar to those programs, those web apps as well for, you know, keeping track of data and helping you write goals and kind of coming up with, you know, they have their own goal banks within the programs that are really helpful for, for streamlining and for coming up with those things. Like, I know I want to work on this, but how do I word it? They've got it all right there, which is so helpful. I I agree with you. You know, it is a a great day and time to, to be an SLP in the school setting in that sense, right? When I first started out, we, the district that I was first working for, we didn't have a template and we had a lot of SLPs that had been SLPs for about 30 years at that point. And then my CF was kind of the next one. And she had maybe been graduated three or four years at that point. And then there was me. And so, you know, it was our, our slippers that we were really, that were a little bit closer and kind of trying out closer in age and, you know, definitely not at the end of their careers being excited. You know, they were more excited about trying out new things that I really learned a lot from, but man, we did not have the resources that are available now. And I agree with you, like definitely, definitely check those things out. Tammy's asking, uh, do you have any suggestions on how to self-advocate if you work for a travel rehab company or doing full-time teletherapy? Tammy, can you elaborate a little bit? Where's your area of stress? Like where's the, what needs to be self-advocated for that you don't see a, a vision of how to do that? All right, we will see what she has to say. So thank you, Melissa, for sharing those resources. I think especially that position statement, that's something that we can easily print out and just give to our administrators. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is what our, you know, what our organization says, we got to follow this. I know not all states have caseload caps or they're very high. I recently saw like somewhere not in California. I don't remember the state, but it was like a caseload cap of 80. I thought, are you kidding me? So, you know, definitely look into at your state association. If there's any advocacy work that they've done, um, check into to what they have as far as caseload caps or any of those position statements, because that can also be helpful too. Tammy says paid for 35 hours, but need 40 hours to complete the work. Okay. So then I would, I, I would probably consider putting like doing the ASHA caseload calculator or workload calculator so that you can show them exactly what you're doing and show them how five hours is still needed to complete what you have, to, that what you need to do. And then I would show them that, to, you know, whoever's deciding on your caseload. The other thing is you could consider, I would also consider writing an email to the person who's in charge of your caseload or persons and letting them know, you know, with that information. And then you could ask for perhaps overtime or, you know, consider, I would just consider like, think of the options. What would you, what are you willing to do or what, what makes sense to you? If you were in their position, what would you want to hear, you know, or how would you want to be approached about this? And then consider all that. And I would just consider and and I would also take a little time to thank them, you know, put them at ease, like bring bring the white flag. Do you know what I mean? I am here. I am not I'm just I'm 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 peace. I want to have some peace talks, you know, not I'm not here to shoot you down. I'm not here to be angry or whatever, even though it can be very stressful and maybe does 
get very frustrating because it encroaches on your personal life. And that's so frustrating, right? But think of a way to come peacefully and be and have some gratitude and then ask for what you need. Or even say, can we discuss? How can we discuss this so that, you know, we can come to an understanding or we can find a solution that works for both of us, like Caitlin just said, working for, for both organizations, you know, both positions. I hope that helps. Does that help? You know, you brought up a really great thing that I think is so hard because a lot of us, we tend to not self-advocate until we're like at that point of like so much emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, like something's got to change, something's got to give, and we have all this emotion. And sometimes, you know, I love that idea of, okay, let's have a peace talk. Let me come into this space being in a, you know, a more grounded space. Let me be grateful for, I do have this position, even though I might be so frustrated with the position. I think that that is so huge coming into it. And that can really open up their side too of like, oh, okay, we're not fighting here. We're trying to create, you know, some good, some good dialogue. Tammy said, yes, present it as a win-win proposition. How it will help the students achieve better outcomes. Absolutely. 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 Make it about the students. You know, the other thing, can I, I pulled up a couple things before that, that came to mind. I was just like, fulfillment. I was thinking about fulfillment and happiness. And a lot of us, one of, you know, we want to, when things aren't working the way we expected them to work, we just want to run. We're like, this is not the job for me. I'm out. I'm out. Right. But there's a Harvard study that was done in, in 2019. And it says that the happiest people have more time and less money. Okay. And it said that people who have enough time are happier, less depressed, experience more joy, exercise more, eat better, are more productive and are less likely to get divorced. These are happier people have all those things going for them, okay? Then in this study, by the way, this came out of Forbes magazine. I can provide the link if you guys want in the chat. Here's the thing. The threshold of money, right? There, There is an, an, an amount of money that we need to be okay, right? To be paying our bills to whatever. And studies have identified the number. Have you, do you guys know this? Studies have identified the number, and I've always heard of it as 75,000. 75,000 is the salary at which if you get more money beyond that, your happiness does not increase. But time, actually, if you have more time, then your happiness can increase and there's other fulfillment factors. But they said in this study that some studies also are in this article in Forbes, that some studies also actually say 50,000. 50,000 is the number. So if you think of 50,000 to 75,000, that is right in our range of pay, isn't it? That is right in our range of pay. Some of us make maybe make a little bit more. I hope nobody's making less. My first job start, I started out at 40K. So I did start making less, 1,000, 2,000, what, six? But if happiness is not tied to the money and it's tied to the time, then it's really important that we advocate for our time. Are you looking to move up on the pay scale? You can through speechtherapypd.com in collaboration with University of the Pacific. Start earning graduate level credits today. Courses are evidence-based and practical. Win-win. Check out speechtherapypd.com for more information on earning graduate level credits. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as you were talking, I thought that makes so much sense because I was thinking, you know, that as my husband and I have been talking about like different career paths I could take within the speech pathology world, it was, I don't really care about the money because we generally make within that, that bracket, right? Mm -hmm. I just want more time with our, with our family. I mean, that really is it. And as you've been talking today, have you been talking about, oh, I'm doing this because it it's going to give me more money? No, you're talking about savoring time with your kids. And that makes sense. You know, as we, even in your conversation about, you know, I want time for life outside of speech. That is exactly the conversation that has been going on in my house the last couple of months. I'm like, is Melissa here? Does she know? (laughs) But I mean, that's probably the conversation that's happened everywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
You know, so I thank you for bringing those points up. Tammy asks, when was 75,000 identified? Inflation has increased a lot in the last two years. Online coaches confirm what you say, that people who have more time are happier. Absolutely. And that's true. It has increased. And I think it also, you know, Tammy depends on like where you're living and cost of living. Absolutely. You know, if you're in Tennessee, you definitely don't see the salaries that you see in Southern California. You know, that cost of living in Tennessee is much lower than it is in Southern California. But I'm happy to see that, you know, you're seeing those same things that Melissa just shared. I think that's such a great point. And when we're happier and we're feeling fulfilled, we can be more creative at our jobs which means that we're meeting our kids a little bit more creatively. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I I see it being a win-win situation all the way around. I absolutely do. So thank you. All right. Your last uh, out of our three, two, one, what is your actionable strategy for us to start doing tomorrow? Okay, my actionable strategy for tomorrow is I want you to think right now, just take a minute to visualize. I mean, you probably already decided in your mind in this discussion what you probably have three things or more that you could advocate for. So I want you to just decide on one. And like I said before, decide on the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest one or the one that's causing you the most, that's the biggest thorn in your side and tackle it. So the actionable strategy for tomorrow is you're going to block out time. (laughs) You're going to block out time. And you guys, it doesn't have to be a lot of time. You can even just think about it on your way to work, you know, just kind of get quiet with yourself and think and just, you know, the ideas will come. I promise they will come. You're going to block out, you know, five minutes this week or whatever it is, block out some time and then you're going to make a plan. So what is the first thing? And you need to baby step it. What's the first thing you need to do? Well, I need to decide the thing. And then what's, well, if I'm going to write, so like, let's take your teletherapy and it was Tammy, right? Mm-hmm. Let's take that situation. So if I'm going to, if I need to advocate for those five more hours, what's the first thing I need to do? My, I would recommend the first thing you do is go to that ASHA workload calculator and do it for yourself. Like I said, weekly, monthly, whatever version, there's a teletherapy version. So there's a teletherapy version. You can do it right there. And then you're going to have a beautiful graph. And like I said, it's easy. This is not going to take you a long time. It could take you like it's like through 30 minutes to an hour if you know exactly what you're doing and you have a pretty good schedule going. So block that time out and then do it. And then decide when you're going to write the email or who you're going to who it is you need to talk to. Just baby step at the next thing. You guys, the way I was self-advocating was not overnight change. But within five years, I got to in the first setting and then within three within a year and a half. So within, it was actually, so it was five years in that one. So it was two and it was three and a half years till I got to the sweet spot in my first setting. And it was one and a half year till I got to the sweet spot in my second setting. So it's not that far away. At least it wasn't in my situation. I guess I can't blanket that to everybody, but nothing will happen until you start. So you got to execute something now. I love that. Thank you. And I really love the way that you broke it down. Just that, you know, you use the framework of decide, effort, planning, but then I really love the way you gave us those tangible strategies. Cause sometimes I've been in that place where I'm like, this isn't working. What mm-hmm. do I do? And it's like, okay, baby step. I can go to Asha and print out the position statement. I mm-hmm. can do the calculator workload. Okay. Or the workload calculator. Okay. All right. I've got that. Okay. What am I going to do next with this information? You know? And I think sometimes I can be really guilty of nothing's going to change. Oh my gosh. You know, Oh, this is the point I was going to make earlier that I forgot. You know, sometimes I think we think that the situations we are in are personal and it's not personal. You know, our administrators don't really hate us. They just have a million fires, right? You know, our special ed directors, They're not really thinking about us, which is part of the problem, right? They're not thinking about us, but it's not a personal thing. And so I think for me, that was really helpful when dealing, you know, with my previous situation. Okay, this isn't personal. They don't hate me. I think they actually like me because they say yes sometimes. Or, you know, like we're still working within this crazy. They're not getting mad at me when I don't get things done because I've communicated ahead of time or whatever. And I think that that really helped me not be so emotional. And then to also think things can change, you know, this isn't personal. I'm really guilty of like, 
oh my gosh, nothing's going to change. Why even bother? And you get kind of in a dark place. And I think that's when we, like you said, we run from situations mm-hmm. instead of thinking, okay, what if, what if, you know, and, and you, again, I, I apologize to everyone. We talk a little bit before we, uh, we pop on the podcast, but Melissa used a phrase that I think is really helpful for this podcast episode. She was mentioning to you, me and I just kind of the idea of thinking outside the box when it comes to speech therapy and the world, you know, different career paths we can take. And she used this phrase, abundance mindset. And I thought, ah, that's what we need when we're thinking about self-advocacy. You know, we tend to have that scarcity mindset of this is the way it's been. These are the resources the school has. But if we think that mindset, you know, that abundance mindset, it can really shift some things for us. Do you want to just say a little bit on that piece for us? Yeah, you know what? I do. I do. And this is this is what I want to say about it. I want to say lift where you stand. Because could you imagine if tomorrow morning we all just decided, like, I'm going to emit love today. <laughs> I know I'm getting a little frou-frou, but I'm going to emit love <laughs> and I'm going to emit like confidence. I'm going to do my job with extreme, like just amazing, amazing. Like you, if you just decide you lift if, and I'm going to, I'm going to look at people and I'm going to lift them. I'm going to say hi to somebody. You know, I take a walk every morning, two and a half mile walk every morning with my two littles to, and it's actually to the school and back where my son goes to school. He likes to ride the bus. So I get him on the bus every morning and then I take a walk with my kids and there are people I, I pass regularly every day. And one of them is this little junior high kid, you know, he's, there's a junior high next to the elementary school. And when we first started walking, he just kind of was walking like this. And he'd kind of look up and nod or whatever. For those that are listening to this, that don't have the visual, she's talking about, no, it's okay. She's talking, she said walking like this, her head is down, her eyes are downward, looking kind of timid, not really confident. That's what, just to give people who are listening, who don't have the visual, that's what it looked like when she's like walking like this. So keep going. Okay. I'll describe time after time. We start, we smiled and we would start to say hi. We wave to the buses all that come by. You know, my kids are just having a great time looking at all the buses and what are, what are we October this morning or yesterday morning? I asked him his name, you know, and he's been starting to smile at us. He's been starting to kind of, you can see him looking for us and kind of smiling at us. I asked him his name. And we found out his name. And now I said, because I just want to say hi to you every morning with your name. And he just beamed. You guys, I mean, junior high. So this is abundance mindset. It's possible to make change, little change in the smallest of ways, incrementally, that actually are the biggest change. The way you approach anything is going to have a ripple effect on whoever it touches. So believe it, (laughs) believe it, speak it. You know, like any change that has ever happened in the world started with someone. So open your mouth, you know, and face the fear, like do it trembling, do it scared, but it's possible. And that abundance mindset is what, you know, you have to believe that you saying something can maybe change the situation, can make a difference or at least can get the ball rolling for the next thing you say, for the next thing you say, for the next thing you say until somebody says yes, finally, or until they come up. You know what I mean? Uh, That's what I think. Lift where you stand, visualize it, lift where you stand. And it's so possible. I really believe it. I believe that we could really, our profession could change. I mean, I feel like we could change the world. You guys, I'm a big change the world person, but I really do. The numbers of children that we touch through and communication, you know, the number of families we are talking to, the administration, we have so much reason to have so much hope and to really affect change. So just start small. Yeah, you know, I I 100% agree with you because if I'm stuck in that mindset of, oh my gosh, I hate this. I, I can't believe this. They, they're doing this to me again. They're doing this to me again. Nobody's doing anything to me. This is just the system, right? The system's not great. Okay, how can we fix it? As opposed to me just going along with it, if I shift that mindset, 
then we can start to get creative and think about things like, you know, I just, I really, really love just even shifting that little mindset or just shifting that little, that little bit of, you know, while we are going through it, something you said is, okay, today I'm just going to look at people and I'm going to see people, you know, if that's the one little thing we do today, even though we're, we're so upset or frustrated, or that can even just shift our mindset to enjoying our students a little bit more, you know, knowing that like, okay, I'm, I'm in it and this is hard, but I'm going to do this one thing today. And that will help us get through until those, those shifts start to come until we start to see changes happening. You know, Tammy says, thank you for presenting your experience on self-advocacy and resources that we can all use to achieve a workable schedule. Something that I am really passionate about is pushing and working with teachers and co-teaching. I've had some really great teachers that I've really enjoyed doing that with, but I can't do that if my caseload is sky high and I don't have time to do it and all the therapy is pull out. And so I think I've really tried to help administrators catch that vision of what it looks like for me to be supporting the whole school as opposed to just supporting my speech students. And that has been really helpful. And that's also been helpful for getting some teachers to catch that too of what that looks like. And then trying to work, you know, from the bottom up of, okay, I've got these principals who've got that. Okay. Maybe they can speak on my behalf, you know, at their principals meetings or talk about some of the fun things we're doing at that school. You know, it's kind of in a, something there. I was just thinking about what is it that gets me excited about the job? How can I do more of that? That's also another way to think about things too. Wow, Melissa, you gave us so many good things to think about. I'm even just thinking about that mindset shift outside of my speech world. Okay, I need to I need to shift my mindset, you know, and into thinking that way with lots and lots of things. So I just I appreciate I appreciate everything you gave us when you talk about mindset shift, when you're talking about, you know, what makes the happiest people and really guarding our time and advocating for our time. I think that's huge. And, you know, you just, you gave us so many good things, which is why I knew I had to have you. Can you just give us a recap of your three things we need to know, your two resources, and then your one actionable strategy for us? You bet. So the three things you need to know are that it takes a decision and effort to make advocacy happen. So decide, make a plan and execute. The second thing you need to know is that it works. You guys, it works. Trust that it works so that trust that your words matter and that it will it will affect change. And the third thing to remember is that when it happens, when the change happens, it feels so good. And when you were part of making that change happen, it provides so much fulfillment and purpose long term. So it's going to give you so much benefit. The two resources are Ash's position statement on caseload versus workload and ASHA's workload calculator. You can Google them both. They will come right up. The actionable strategy is to decide what thing you need to advocate for, write it down, and then I want you to make a plan to do something about it within the next week. It has to happen right away for you to kind of just get started and get that ball rolling. Just the first thing. Awesome. Thank you. You know, we have a few more moments here. So if anyone wants to type in the chat what it is that they're going to advocate for this week or any things that they they want to workshop with Melissa. I mean, she's got 14 years experience of working in the school setting. In a previous course that I took with Melissa, she talked about a really cool thing that she did. I The way that Melissa thinks is just so out of the box, but she really is creative about her solutions. So Melissa, what I'm referring to is you were talking about how a lot of us, you know, when we go on maternity leave, there's no substitute. We end up coming back from these, from our maternity leaves, which are not vacations. And we have a ton of stuff, you know, reports to catch up on, IEPs that were past due, you know, of, that we tried to take care of before we left. And then we come back and it's just another big mess. And it's like, it can be really frustrating. So you actually had a really cool position that you advocated for or that district you were in advocated for where you were kind of like a substitute SLP. Can you talk about that a little bit with us? Yeah, absolutely. Like my district was so good. This most recent district that I was in had a binder where if you were going to be out, if you needed help, 
they had retired SLPs in the area who were willing to come in, still kept their C's up and things like that, but would come in. One of them was an SLP lead at one point. Anyway, and they would come in and be your substitute, essentially. And you could ask for them if you were behind on reports, if you had, you know, there were just different situations where you could ask for them. And that is what I have considered doing when my kids are, you know, I, I, I you know, I don't know what I'm going to do exactly. I've got a, a 15 month old and I'm not going back full time until she is in school. But I keep thinking, like, where can I kind of spend my time? And I want to just help SLPs. Like, I want to go to the school and just be like, hey, I'm a certified SLP. What can I help you with? Can I file something for you? You know, anyway, you got to go through the channels. But yes, that's something you can try to establish in your district because some people want to work part time. Not everybody wants to work full time, you know, and it can be a great way. And and how much energy do they, do they come in with, too, when they're only working a little bit? Right. So absolutely. There are so many creative ways to to take care of our needs that are, are possible. And and I believe, too, that there are people leaving the profession because they feel like they can't. Right. But some people want a hybrid of work. So if we can draw on the skills that are there, there are many that are out for raising kids, but maybe they want to work one day a week. You know, so if we can reach out to the communities or to and figure out if we can find out who they are and or you can do it yourself. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember when you were talking about that and I thought, man, I wish that position existed for me because I was not interested in working full time. I was working part-time. I'm now back full-time, but that time piece is really important that, you know, if I had the option to work in the school setting part-time, I would, but we don't have part-time positions in Southern California. It's all full-time positions. One thing real quick in Utah that they do a lot of, because they have a lot of mothers that come in and out of the school is a lot of teachers share contracts. So I don't know if that's a possibility, but it'll be a full one full-time contract but two people share it. Interesting. That's another way that maybe, you know, people. that's can- a really great. See, this is why I love Melissa. Like she, if you guys have anything you want to workshop, you know, we have her for the next four minutes. Uh, <laughs> the way that she thinks is so outside of the box and she's seen a lot of things and can offer a lot of really great suggestions. Tammy says that she plans to advocate for changing the goals that my manager wrote for me to do on my annual review. I will advocate for goals that are workable and improve my skill set in order to improve outcomes and deliver excellent services. Awesome. awesome. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. All right. You know, that's that's such a great idea to to share the contract and bringing that up as a solution versus, you know, versus me saying, I would like to work part-time, but you know, Hey, what about if we do it this way? And that is such a great thing to think about. I know the previous district that I was in, I ended up leaving, but two of us were going to be out on maternity leave at the same time. And both of us were just so scared to what we were going to come back to that both of us ended up leaving. It wasn't, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah. You know, and, and in California, we have the caveat of you can not come back after your maternity leave and it's not going to count against you. And both of us ended up doing that because the situation was not getting better from the previous year. And we just thought, you know what, we have small children at home. This is not worth it. Again, coming back to that idea of time, you know, we want more time with our families. But I think if we had offered them that solution of, would you be interested in hiring some part-time SLPs to cover maybe some of those, you know, high profile IEPs or just the triennial, just the initial assessments and just those IEPs, you know, and, and letting us kind of figure out the rest, which is not our job to figure out the rest. That's another another piece that SLPs, I think, really need to advocate for is teachers get substitutes, but we don't, which makes sense. We're already low staff in a lot of districts, but it would be great if they would hire contract, you know, travel contract. I mean, SLPs. could you imagine if we, yeah, if we talked to SLP leads, I mean, I know people who are SLP leads that are so stressed out with filling positions, you know, but they may only be seeing it as I can't do part times because I can't whatever. Or maybe there's a funding issue because I know that they are given sometimes like principals or whatever are given this many full time contracts or this many. So they're given specific things that they have to fill. So maybe there's a thing. But 
I guarantee, I mean, other states are doing it. There is, you have to find the right people to talk to, to get the change to happen. So maybe you may have to find a way to it, but I guarantee it's possible. I guarantee it. Yeah, that's it. We just have to be creative and think outside of the box. And I think the problem is that it's that effort piece of, you know, the administrators, it's not necessarily their problem. And I think I'm noticing this a lot across education is a lot of us are just saying, we're not going to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And for years and years and years, we've been doing it. I think that's been kind of an awesome thing of the pandemic. You know, a lot of us are coming out of it going, "Mm -mm, we're not doing this anymore. This is not okay. So I find a lot of, a lot of excitement with that. You know, it's, it's across the board that everyone is kind of banding together and saying, we're not going to do that anymore as a, and I think that's where the issue is, is for so long, everyone did do it. It's exciting to me to see us kind of stand up and say no, you know, and hopefully we can keep good, enthusiastic teachers and clinicians, you know, in the classrooms and in the school system. It is a bummer that, that we have some really great educators, whether they be teachers or SLPs, you know, leaving, but but I am hopeful because we have people like you, Melissa, who are inspiring us to stand up and talk about these things. So, so thank you so much. Tammy says, I recommend start with immediate supervisor. Yeah. So she's talking about some of those same things that we, we talked about, you know, starting with those baby steps. All right, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. All right. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. I hope that this conversation was helpful and that you're feeling inspired and ready to take on the rest of the school year and ready to advocate for yourself. And just thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa, for for spending this time with us. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. Absolutely. We'll see you all back here soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.